Hey, welcome to episode number 175 of More Than Bread. We are in the midst of listening to and diving into the words of God through the Apostle Paul, written in a letter from prison to friends in the town of Ephesus. And I, I got to tell you, if I haven't already told you, if you haven't picked up on it, Ephesians is one of my favorite books of the Bible. It's this theological and yet so very practical description of the church and our mission, and and woven throughout all of it is this sense of awe and the grandeur and the glory of Christ. And and remember, all of these words are written from Paul to his friends while he sat in prison in Rome, grateful for the chance to bring Jesus to the cultural heart of the country, but also living with this uncertainty as to his future, waiting for a judgment from Caesar that could result in his execution. In the last episode, if you remember, we talked about grace. We talked about the gospel. Paul had been given grace from God so that he could give grace to the people of Ephesus. The grace that God gave Paul was not just for Paul, we said, right? It was for others. Just like the spiritual blessings that have been given to us in the heavenly places are not just for us, they've been given to us for others. We're we're stewards of the grace of God. We're conduits. We're meant to be a pipeline, the flow of life coming from God through us to others. And and part of the grace, the gift given to Paul, and I believe to us, is this mystery revealed. Remember, Paul talks about the mystery revealed, and the mystery was simply this, that Jesus, the Son of God, became a son of man. The creator became part of creation to bring us redemption. The author of our story jumped into the book to turn our page to a whole new chapter. Now, if you remember, if you caught it, I kind of critique Paul's writing just a little bit in the last episode. Doesn't mean I don't think his words are inspired by God. They are. Doesn't mean I, I think they have no value. They do. But, but God breathed his words through people and he didn't turn them into robots. He, he breathed his words through people. And these people, those people had a, a certain writing style. And sometimes, honestly, it's not all that easy, at least in Ephesians, not all that easy to follow Paul. It's like, it's like he can't help himself and the words just pour out. <laughs> I remember. I mean, remember when we, we diagram sentences in, in school, right? Pick out the verb, the noun, the adjectives and ab, adverbs, maybe a prepositional phrase here and there, but it wasn't all that difficult to diagram. It, it was easy to pick out the subject and the verb, but but man, Paul gets going and it's like a whole chapter might be just a couple of run-on forever sentences. <laughs> and you're like, wait a minute, what did he say? So remember in chapter three, verse one, Paul is actually getting ready to pray. He wants to say, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, but he interrupts himself and he doesn't get back to his prayer until verse 14. So in this episode, I'm just going to get to the prayer. We're not going to actually talk about the prayer, even though it's my favorite prayer in all of scripture. I have not prayed a single prayer more than I prayed this prayer. But we're just going to make our way to it, and then in the next episode, we'll pray it. We'll we'll dive into the prayer itself. So for now, just listen as I read just five verses that get us to the prayer. I'm reading Ephesians 3, verse 11 through 15 from the English Standard Version. Here's what Paul says. This was, and he's talking about everything before that we talked about, the mystery of grace, the stewardship of grace, what was given to Paul by God for others. He says, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. And and I'm not going to hit that, but man, don't miss that. 
in Christ, through Christ, we have boldness and confidence to access the very presence of God, to access a relationship, to access intimacy with God. So, verse 13, Paul says, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is for your glory. In verse 14, he gets back to the for this reason that he had in verse 1, big interruption between 1 and 14, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So what is the eternal purpose realizing Christ Jesus our Lord? It's the grace of Christ poured out on us. It's the church as a conduit of God's grace that lives in such a way that our story becomes a spotlight on the grace and kindness, the overflowing, overwhelming kindness of God. But let's just be honest about our story for just a moment. Can we be honest about our story and just say sometimes our stories are hard and our hearts are at risk? I mean, here in my favorite prayer in all of Scripture, coming up in Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, Paul prays that his friends would be filled with the power of the Spirit and the love of Christ and the fullness of life that comes from the very hand of God. And then he closes his prayer with the words, and now to him, God, who is able to do immeasurably more than we've ever asked for or can even imagine. And yet don't miss how he starts his prayer. Don't miss the context of this prayer. I ask that you do not lose heart. Please don't lose heart. The Greek word that Paul uses here in Ephesians 3.13 literally means to be tired out, to be utterly spiritless and exhausted. (laughs) You know, in an always connected Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram world, everyone is just like constantly putting the best moments of their story on display. And the reality is that sometimes, maybe more than sometimes, our stories get messy and hard. Mom, sometimes your story gets messy and hard. After our encounter worship gathering last weekend, a handful of us stayed after to pray with a, pray with a family whose story has gotten all kinds of difficult. And it reminded me of something that Ann Voskamp wrote to moms once. She wrote, because I ain't no Hallmark mother and none of us are, if we're really truth-telling here, if we're honest, there were burnt dinners and yelling mornings and neck-strained words over lost shoes and scattered Legos and unfinished homework, and there were crumpled tears behind bathroom doors, not to mention the frozen pizzas and no clean underwear and the wild words no one would want the cameras rolling for and the realization that a mother's labor and delivery never ends, and you never stop having to remember to breathe. And honestly, that's on some of the good days. The family we prayed for is going through something much more difficult than frozen pizzas and no clean underwear. Sometimes if we don't want to lose heart, we need to forget the uncertainty that we can't control and remember to breathe in the words of God, breathe in the presence of God, the the breath of God, the spirit of God. There's so many people that I know right now who are living out a hard chapter of their story, and, and nobody wants to lose heart, right? We, we want to be renewed and strong and filled with hope. We know our stories will have hard chapters, but we don't want to lose heart. How's your heart when there's trouble in your story? Paul says, I, I, I don't want you to lose heart. I don't want you to give up. I don't want you to quit. And as he prays, it's basically, I don't want you to lose heart because our God is a God of breakthrough. One of my favorite breakthrough God stories involves a man named James Loder. I've shared it at church before. James died, I don't know, probably a quarter of a century ago. And up until his death, he was a Princeton professor. 
In fact, he, he taught at the cemetery, or <laughs> seminary, <laughs> bad word choice. He taught at the seminary a, a lifetime ago. I, I thought he might be one of my teachers as I was considering getting a, a PhD from Princeton. At his funeral, his daughter Kim wrote a tribute to her father. She said that her father's heart was so tender that he was known at Princeton as the weeping professor. I'm telling you, soft hearts, when you have a soft heart, you're in less danger of losing heart. Seems odd. We tend to think that hard hearts won't lose heart, but it's really soft hearts, tender hearts that don't lose heart. And anyway, he, he was known at Princeton as the weeping professor. A family friend described James as a man who lived from one moment to the next in what was for him a God-bathed, God-soaked, God-intoxicated world. But but this was not always the case. In fact, there was a time when God was at best an abstract idea, a distant philosophical com- concept for Dr. Loder. But one day, when Kim was a young girl, her mother and father drove past a woman changing a flat tire by the side of the road. He pulled to the shoulder to help her, and while he was lying under her car, another vehicle accidentally swerved to the shoulder and hit the disabled car. As the car was shoved onto his chest, his right thumb was torn off at the joint, and five ribs were broken. His left lung was pierced and immediately began filling with blood. James' wife, barely five foot tall, placed her hands under the bumper of the car and prayed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and she lifted the car off his chest so he could be dragged out. She broke a vertebrae in the process. In a state of shock, lungs filling with blood, James was dying, and and doctors prepared him for emergency surgery. The EMTs brought his thumb to the emergency room, but the doctor said his thumb won't do him any good if he's dead. Survival was iffy at best, but lying in surgery, before they could place a blade to his skin, suddenly, spontaneously, James' skin changed from colorless to pink. Before they could even hook him up to oxygen, he was miraculously healed. And, And he knew it. He knew it. Nobody even needed to check. Totally aware, James invited a surprise surgical team to join him in singing, Ferris Lord Jesus. (laughs) He only discovered later this, his healing came at the precise moment that his father-in-law, a pastor, called his congregation to pray for him. That's breakthrough, right? Sometimes stories like this come from unverifiable sources like the friends of a friend's third cousin, or they come from incredible sources like Facebook or magazines sold in grocery checkout lines with news that Taylor Swift is actually an extraterrestrial alien. That's why she sings so heavenly. But but James Loder was a professor at Princeton, and his life was not only saved, it was radically changed, transformed. Over the years, the weeping professor impacted people even more with his heart than his mind. I mean, what would you give to experience a breakthrough like that? I mean, of, of course, we'd rather not need a breakthrough like that, but if you need it, what would you give for it? I love what John Orberg says. He, he he says the Bible is full of three-day stories and 40-day stories. When it comes to breakthrough, three-day stories are tales of quick redemption, problem solved, hope regained, darkness changed to light in less time than it takes to enjoy a long weekend, microwaved hope. And we all love three-day breakthroughs. When the Penn State Lions play 55 minutes of football, always behind, and then Aller throws a 99-yard touchdown to finish the game and beat Ohio State, that's a three-day story. That's not what we have. 
Penn State fans are living out a 40-day story. I'll talk about that in the moment. When you go through a weekend of marriage hell, but Sunday morning after church, your husband reaches out for your hand and says, I'm sorry. You kiss and make up. That's a three-day story. Quick breakthrough. The Bible is full of three-day breakthroughs, stories of desperation and crisis, hope obliterated, and then God breaks through, hope restored, heart restored. Jonah swallowed by a great fish hanging out at the bottom of the ocean, darkness, only darkness, nothing he can do to save himself. All he can do is pray. So in Jonah 2, 1, it says, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. What was Jonah praying? He was praying for breakthrough. God, save me. and Let me go out the same way I came in. (laughs) And on what day was Jonah saved? Third day. We all love three-day breakthroughs. We're not, we're not in danger of losing heart in the midst of a three-day breakthrough. The essence of our faith is the three-day story of the death and resurrection of Jesus. It, it's this breakthrough that gives us our greatest hope, but there are also 40-day stories in the Bible, right? Noah was in the ark for 40 days. Jesus began his ministry with 40 days in the desert, preparing for a great spiritual battle. He didn't want to lose heart. Moses was on Mount Sinai for 40 days before getting the Ten Commandments. Goliath taunted Saul's army 40 days before young David the giant slayer arrived. And of course, Jesus spent 40 days with his disciples after his resurrection before he ascended to heaven. If if three-day stories are like microwaved hope, then 40-day stories are more like all-day barbecue, smoked, slow-cooking. A 40-day story is long enough to disrupt our life, but short enough to see the deadline. 40-day stories are not microwaved breakthrough. They're hard. Hang dog. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Times of desperation. So how about you? Are you praying for a three-day breakthrough right now, or are you praying for a hard season of perseverance where breakthrough will only come if we don't lose heart? So like I said, Ephesians three fourteen through 21 is one of my all-time favorite breakthrough prayers. It's an amazing prayer dedicated to the God who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask for or even imagine. He's a breakthrough God. But before Paul even gets to the prayer, prayer he prayed and wrote while he was in prison going through heart-draining times, he prefaced his prayer with the words, here's the context, therefore I ask that you do not lose hope in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose hope, not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you. Paul says, don't lose heart over what I'm suffering for you. I I don't know if you've ever gone through this, but it's potentially one of the most heart-draining times we can face. Don't lose heart when others suffer for me or maybe because of me. Some of you know what I'm talking about, your addiction your affair, your bitterness, your obsession with work or stuff or self, your anger has caused others to suffer. Or maybe someone took the blame for something you did. Or have there ever been times when you just couldn't get over what someone gave up for you? Don't lose heart, Paul says. But but there are other ways to lose heart, right? In 2 Corinthians 4, Paul goes through a description of difficult circumstances using words like hard-pressed and perplexed and persecuted and, and struck down. And then he closes with these words in verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 4. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart, 
Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. When all I see is trouble, don't lose heart. When circumstances batter me, confuse me, discourage me, don't lose heart. Don't give up. In Hebrews 12, we see the phrase again. The author writes, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful people so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Don't lose heart when the race seems long and the cheers seem faint. Don't lose heart when what I thought would be a sprint turns out to be an Ironman triathlon inside a gauntlet. Don't lose heart. Luke 18, 1 through 8, Jesus connects it all to prayer. In verse 1, Luke writes, and he told them, Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. I mean, in essence, Jesus is saying, I'm going to tell you a story and I want the story to always remind you of the fact that we should always pray and never give up. Don't lose heart. Never forget this. Always pray. Never give up. Jesus teaches this message on prayer all over the gospels. Basically says, find something good to pray for and then don't stop. But it's difficult sometimes, isn't it? Especially in the hard chapters of our story, because we, we struggle with unanswered prayer. We're disappointed with God. We, we struggle with people and circumstances, staying the same no matter what we do or what we pray. And I, and I think sometimes we have a hunch that maybe God is tired of us praying the same prayers and we start to lose heart. So let me just ask you, where have you given up in prayer? Ask yourself, what was I once praying for, but I lost heart? Maybe it's a person, a relationship, a a grand dream, or a combination of small requests. But whatever it is, the point came where he just said, that's it. I'm done. I give up. No more prayer. You lost heart. See, when we lose heart, prayer stops. And without prayer, there is no breakthrough. So don't lose heart. Pray like it matters, because it does. That's Paul's message, and he echoes the message of Jesus that we see over and over again in the Gospels. Don't lose heart. Pray like it matters. And listen, it matters. No matter how ruined you are, how broken your family is, or how dark it seems out there, wherever you're looking for breakthrough, there's always a place to start. Sometimes we hesitate to start because we want to know where we will end. And the reality is that we rarely know where we'll end. It's so uncertain. I can't tell you how our broken stories are going to end, when breakthrough will come, but I can tell you where we have to start and where we have to continue and where we cannot quit. We have to start with prayer. We have to continue with prayer. We cannot quit praying. Prayer was like breathing to Jesus. Prayer is the open admission that without God, nothing that matters will happen. So don't lose heart. This is God's word to you today. Do not lose heart. You're going through a tough time. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Pray like it matters because it does. And in the next episode, we're going to look at a don't lose heart kind of prayer As Paul says in verses 13 and 14, I ask, I'm asking, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Don't lose heart. Pray like it matters. 
Let me pray for you. Father God, thank you for each and every person listening to this episode. God, for those who are going through a tough time, I just say, God, would you pour your grace? Would you pour the gospel? Would you pour good news? Would you pour strength? Would you pour the love of Christ and the power of the Spirit, the life that comes from your hands? Would you pour it into their heart that they might not lose heart? God, would you give them the strength and the expectancy, the hope even, to to take one more step, to not quit, to not give up? God, I'm, I'm asking that they would not lose hope. I'm asking that you would pour hope into their hearts. I'm asking that they would not lose heart. And, and God, for those who, who aren't going through hard times, but they know that one day they will, <laughs> or maybe they went through a hard time and they're out of it, but they... They lost heart, and and they don't know how to get it back. God, I I pray that you would give them back a soft heart, a tender heart, a heart that is full of life and joy and expectancy. God, would you give it back to them, that that we might pray this prayer in Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, that we might pray it in the next episode with a sense of expectancy and hope. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.